All right, everybody, I want to thank you all for joining us for another edition of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I'm extremely excited about this because this is the first time that we've done this in reference to our one-year anniversary of the fellowship and the podcast. We are doing the Servant Leaders First Ever Revival, where we talk about the Servant Leaders Arsenal. And there was no reason, and it's only right, that we would invite back Servant Leader pastor and coach Dennis McNulty with us. I'm super excited about this word. I've been waiting for this word. They tell you to prepare, right? You know, when meals are coming, you be excited because you start to smell it. I felt like I started to already smell the word. So I'm super excited to just get this thing started. Brother, I appreciate you just for always being open and being who you are. I'm going to pass the torch to you so you can go ahead and fill us up. But thank you so much for being here. No, Coach Chelsea, thank you. And to all of my brothers and sisters, God bless you. And um, this community is just special, man. It's just it's just a real special community. It's a real special place. And um, I don't think you have to be the wisest discerner in the room to realize that this is this is a God thing that uh, the Lord started in the middle of this global pandemic. And uh, here we are connecting from all over the place. And uh, I'm just excited. Um, I'm incredibly blessed and privileged to be here. So to all of the servant leaders, uh, whether you're in real time or whether you'll catch this later, um, God bless you. We value your work. We recognize your gifting and we celebrate each and every one of you. I'm blessed by my wife being with us tonight. Uh, She's just so wonderful. And uh, a lot of times I'll tell you a little secret. I get invited back places just so they can hear her sing. Never mind me preach. They're like, just because she sing. I'm like, yeah, she'll sing. And so that's our secret. But why not open up with the word of prayer, invite the Lord in, and then uh, we'll kind of just jump in and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Father, we do bless you and thank you. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we come. We're grateful, Lord, for new mercies, for a new day. Your word declares that it is by these, your mercies that were not consumed. Thank you for Coach Chelsea. Thank you for the vision that you've entrusted to this, your servant. And we thank you, God, that she's been a good steward over it. We thank you for the community that has rallied around her. We thank you, thank you for every supporting ligament. We thank you for every part that is standing this thing up. And ultimately, God, we look to the hills tonight from which cometh our help. We're living in turbulent times. We're living in a time of calamity and great divide. But we pray tonight, God, that your people would be united to fight the fight, that we would be united tonight to hear from heaven. So God, lower us down into your reservoir of knowledge, strength, wisdom, and power, and then simultaneously touch the ear gate and the heart of the recipient that this word would fall on good ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, I thought we would spend a little time. Uh, I was really, really amped up when I was um, uh, privy to the servant leadership revivals theme, right? Uh, the servant leaders arsenal. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so my mind just went to running in a, in a million uh, uh, miles an hour. And I've been at this long enough to know that it's not my mind that matters, right? I have to have the mind of Christ. And so I, I settled myself down. It's not always easy for me to do. For those of you that know me, uh, I settled myself down and I began to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to say uh, to your people? And interestingly enough, he wanted me to just give a brief disclaimer on revival itself, right? It sounds a little strange to explain to folks that, you know, spend so much time in the church as many of us do to explain what revival is, but it's really fascinating when you look at the word revived, the first time that it appears in scripture, it's in Genesis chapter 45. And what's so fascinating about it 
is the context in which it's used. So I want to at least give just a little bit about what I hope we're after tonight, right? That we want to be revived. We don't want to have just consecutive nights of meeting and, and then kind of go back. We want to be revived. So in order to do that, we have to be positioned to be revived. And the best way to do that is to understand what it is that we're asking God specifically for. So in Genesis chapter 45, it's the story of Jacob receiving word that his son Jake, uh, Joseph was alive. And Jacob had spent, you know, multiple of years living with the psychological implications of believing that his child had died. His brothers were jealous, sold him off into slavery. And uh, summarizing the life of Joseph, as we know, he very famously said that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so that's the summarization of his life. But his dad was not aware that he was alive. And I often ask people, have you ever got to the place where you allow yourself room to imagine that it's going to end better than you imagined it would? That is not always going to end negatively. It's not always going to end in destruction or gloom, but the hand of God is on you. And so therefore, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. But that word revived is very fascinating because his sons come back and they say to him, dad, Joseph is alive. And scripture says in Genesis chapter 45 that he didn't believe him. Now, for those of you that are biblically astute, he had good reason not to believe these lion scoundrels because that's kind of the nature of what they did. They've been lying for multiples of years. They were the one responsible for Joseph being sold off into slavery in the first place. But the scripture says when the brothers, the sons of Jacob, showed Jacob the things that Joseph had sent back with them, the word records. And at that moment, when he saw the wagons filled with stuff, the spirit of Jacob revived. And that word revive, what we're using for revival, is a Hebrew word, kaya. And it's a fascinating word because what it means specifically is to be revived from discouragement, to be revived from sickness, to be revived from faint-heartedness. And there's even a suggestion that you could be revived from death. Well, fortunately, we did not personally, if we're out here tonight, we didn't die, but death was all around us this past year. But as a result of the time that we're living in, we have become faint-hearted. We have become discouraged. We have become um, where we are, uh, what could I say, uh, fainting in the will of God. Now, this word is interesting because, and my wife is over there grinning at me already because she knows exactly what I'm about to illustrate. It doesn't sound like no Hebrew word at all. It sounds like a martial arts word. It sounds like those movies I used to watch on Saturday morning when, when the guy would break a board or, or the, you know, the martial arts guy. And they say, Hi-ya! that is precisely how you pronounce the Hebrew word for revive. It's the Hebrew word, Haya. And it means to be revived from dis- discouragement, revived from sickness, and, and revived from faintheartedness. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're tuned in tonight, and you have suffered any of those things, you're in the right place because God has sent us together. God has given us a word so that we will not leave despondent, that we would not leave discouraged, that we would not continue in our faint-hearted nature, but that we would in every sense be revived. This is going to end better than you imagine. Now, now what happens with the the idea of the theme? I, I really was laying before the Lord and I said, well, if I'm going to teach on the servant leadership's arsenal, there is a huge presupposition that is at work. 
if we are of the opinion that the servant leader needs an arsenal, and I am of that opinion, then what we are admitting is that there is warfare going on around us. And you would be surprised that many people in Christendom, many people in the church, do not understand that what is going on in their life, what's going on in our nation, just tonight, more tragedy, more gun violence. Last night, the story broke of another tragedy of a young black man in Minnesota. I mean, this is tragedy all around us. And if we're not careful, we will become despondent. If we're not careful, we'll short circuit. So we have to begin to swallow the very difficult pill. We cannot take a flight from fancy. We cannot act as if it does not exist. We are in spiritual warfare. But the thing that I want to stress tonight as we go into what is going to be our foundational scripture is that we are in spiritual warfare, but the admission of that is actually the first step towards our victory. If we continue to act like it's not the reality. So I asked the Lord, what would be the greatest weapon in the hand of a servant leader if they were, in fact, putting an arsenal together? And I was somewhat shocked at what the Lord said to me. He said, son, the first thing that servant leaders need is a dose of reality. He said, because the word says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Chelsea, I lived many of my years. Y'all know my testimony. I lived many years in bondage because I was convinced that it was somebody else's fault. I lived for years in the bondage of my own wrong choice and my own wrong decision because I had myself convinced that it was somebody else's fault. But the reality of it is when I allowed God by his spirit to search me, I began to see the flaws in me. I began to see the things that were wrong in me. So it stopped being everybody else's fault and started to say, Lord, what's wrong with me? So I want to go. And now I don't know what the format is tonight. So if you want to jump in and we want to have some interaction, we could do that. Or I could just kind of preach like I would if I was at the home church. Just let me preach know what like works best would. for the group. Preach like you would, just like you do. All right, all right. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure because I know I know one thing. To be an authority, you've got to be under authority. Come and on. So here. that that's a principle in God's economy that won't change. So so this is the servant leadership. God has entrusted this to you. So I wanted to come under your authority. So now we know that you say, okay, preach. All right, so we'll preach. We are all very familiar with the scripture in Isaiah that talks to us about no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I mean, I've shouted a time or two in church over the weapon not being able to prosper. And then the preacher usually goes on if he or she has worked their salt to say, now it didn't say that it won't form. It just said that it wouldn't prosper. And I'm so enthralled in that, that sometimes what happens in a biblical text, I'll highlight the page and all of this and I'll miss what's in front of it. And for years, I missed what was in front of it. And that's why I want to go tonight. Isaiah 54, verse 16. Isaiah 54, verse 16. This is what's recorded. It says, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth a weapon for its work. I have created the waster to destroy. What that means is God saying, I am creating a weapon. And I want you to know that I am talking tonight literally, not figuratively, to weapons of mass destruction. The enemy does not want you to reach your potential. He does not want you to recognize the value of your anointing. He does not want you to walk armed with the knowledge of knowing that in him I can do all things. And so what we do is we are fighting this spiritual war 
and I'm guilty as anybody, so please don't think I'm trying to be condescending when I say this. We fight this spiritual battle, and when things are breaking our way, we have absolutely no issue whatsoever walking in the new nature. But when things get a little choppy, I like to say we've got the nature of uh, Jacob and we've got the nature of Israel. He had two natures. God changed his name. I can relate to that because depending on what's going on in my life, I am operating in the newness of the new creature. But there's a part of me that's still from the projects, if I'm being honest. And, and, and those moments, I got to remember that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You're, you're not going to win this battle with your carnal fist. You're not going to be able to go give them a piece of your mind. You're not going to be able to go, well, I'm, they, they don't know me. And all of this flesh that would rise up in us, what we have to do is understand that God told Isaiah that I am creating a weapon for the work that I have assigned it to do. I can remember years ago, uh, prison ministry is my desired pulpit. And uh, if y'all know my testimony, you would understand why that's the case. But I'll jump over four churches to get to one jailhouse because it is there that I get a uh, opportunity to test out the validity of the anointing. The word of God tells us that light is to shine in dark places. And one of my pet peeves is that sometimes in the church, it's light preaching to light. Those that have already been illuminated, preaching to those that are already illuminated. So every once in a while, I like to go to some dark places and ask the Holy Ghost to show me what I'm working with. And prison is my desired pulpit. And one time I was going in, this was the scripture that I was armed with to teach and to preach with on that night. And I remember going in, and this is a level six, uh, level six maximum security prison in New Jersey. And I was going through all of the procedures to get in, metal detectors, search, all of this stuff that was routine. And I look up and I see a sign. And the sign said, no weapons beyond this point. And I was struck by that sign. And I said intuitively to the Holy Spirit, I said, Lord, if you don't say nothing, I won't say nothing. Now, what I was referring to is I didn't have nothing in my belt. I didn't have nothing in my sock. I didn't have no contraband. I didn't have anything that was going to compromise our ability to do ministry, but I was recognizing that the weapon that was going in was me. The weapon that was going in was the word that was in me. The weapon that was going in is the reality of my experience that caused me to come away knowing that if you submit yourself to God, God is going to work this thing out for you. But God does this by submitting us to the flames of the fire. The metaphor that is used by Isaiah is that of a blacksmith. And the blacksmith is working a work over the coals of the fire. And God says, I am creating a weapon for his work. Our problem in the current construct of the church is we want to have the anointing as though we've been in the fire, but we want to resist the fire and recoil from it every time the Holy Spirit begins to move us into a season that's uncomfortable. You remember when you were little, uh, you mess around and touch a hot flame. You, you, you mess around and recoil from it and you'd get yelled out. And if you were poor like me, they'd put butter on it. I don't know what the butter was supposed to do, but, but they would put butter on a wound. Well, I want you to know something, beloved. God is creating us to be weapons, but weapons of mass destruction. Not destruction to where we tear things down. Not destruction where we don't recognize each of us have been created in the image and likeness of God. Not a weapon that is being fought in our country relative to Second Amendment, right? No, this war that we fight is not a natural war. 
Paul the Apostle, I, I value him pretty highly. I mean, he wrote 12 or 13 books of the Bible. Paul said, I got a war going on in my members. He said, the things that I ought to do, I don't do. The things that I ought not to do, I find myself doing. He said, I'm at war. My flesh is warring against my spirit and my spirit is warring against my flesh. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the place, going back to kind of our foundation over Mars, where you became so discouraged in the fire you lose sight of the fact that God is fashioning a weapon for its work. You, you lost sight of the fact that God is creating in you a clean heart. You lost sight of the fact that you'll never call down fire from Mount Carmel until you're first cut at the brook called Kurdif. You lost sight of the process that is causing you to rise as somewhat of an authority relative to what God can do. I don't know if you've ever been so discouraged to where you feel as though, and I believe this is somebody's word tonight. I believe that, that sometimes you become so discouraged to where prayer feels as though your prayer is hitting the ceiling, ricocheting around the room, and that's as far as it goes. And so what happens is the enemy in this warfare wants us to get a case of the why bothers. He wants to get us the case of the give ups. He wants to get us the case of nobody cares. He wants to get us the case of in this big world where everything is going on, where black men are being killed for air fresheners and where there's lawlessness going on around us. If we're not careful, we become so discouraged that we forget God's fashioning a weapon for its work. We lose sight of the fact. Now, this idea that God is creating a weapon suggested the fact that God says the weapon that I'm creating is going to be opposed by a weapon that thinks that they can stop what it is that I'm trying to do in their life. The enemy has, after all, attempted a time or two to derail you. The enemy has attempted at times to flat out, snuff out your life. And I have a rule here at the home church. We are not allowed to. My church folks, I apologize in advance because we say this a lot, but we do not say this at Lighthouse. We do not say that the enemy should have killed me while he had a chance. Because we've discovered that if the enemy really had a chance, he would have taken it. So what we've discovered is God's weapon that he's fashioning is greater than the opposition against it. So we are in a war. Now, I want to just digress very briefly and suggest to you that in this war, there is a couple of things that we have to understand. So in addition to truth being part of the arsenal of the believer, we have to make sure that we understand that God has given us things to fight this fight, that we are not alone in this fight. In fact, God never intended us to fight it independent of him. So God has given us the helmet of salvation. God has given us the sword of the spirit. God has given us the shield of faith. God has given us a belt called truth. God has given us our feet to be shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace. But the other thing God has given us is each other. The other thing God has given us is a connectivity to like-minded people. What does the word of God say? The word of God says one could put a thousand, but two could put 10,000 to flight. So we have to understand that at times we've got to humble ourselves to admit that I can't do this alone. I, I'm a, I'm a, I, li I like fighting. You know, like the old, not mixed martial arts, uh, Chelsea, the old school. I, I like to, you know, mix it up, box a little bit. And I got the nose to prove that I've been in the ring a couple of times. Well, I want to suggest to you that what the anointing does in the life of the believer is very similar to what the Vaseline does in the life of a prize fight. Right. Y'all ever seen a prize fight where the bell rings and they come over to the corner? What do they start doing? They start treating 
the face of the fighter, whoever he or she is. And one of the things that they do is they anoint the fighter with Vaseline, right? And they do this because no matter what happened in the round before, there's another round that still needs to be fought. Whatever no happened in the chapter before, there is nothing that is suggestive of the fact that God wants me as a servant leader to throw in the towel. So since throwing in the towel is not an option. Now, Jeremiah tried it. Jeremiah tried to throw in the towel and found out that God's fire all by himself. Jeremiah said, these people ain't listening. I'm the weeping prophet because wrong looks right and right looks wrong. And Jeremiah, in essence, said, I'm not going to be in this dungeon no more. I quit. I give up. And he threw in the towel only to find out that God is fire all by himself. Jeremiah said, I gave up. But then all of a sudden, there was like fire that shut up in my bones. So they anoint the fight, the face of the fighter. Can I suggest to you that the reason they anoint the face of the fighter is the same reason God has anointed us. He smears us with his presence. He smears us with his glory. He smears us because the battle is yet raging. And what happens in the fight game is the Vaseline on my face is designed to cause the, the blow of the enemy that they are intending to be the knockout blow. The design of the anointing is that what should have killed me only grazes off of me. So what the enemy meant to take me out with, God only meant to develop me in. What the enemy thought would destroy me, God knew would grow me. And I'm here to tell you that some of the greatest growing I've ever done as a servant leader have been in some of the darkest chapters of my life. If I've got a servant leader out there tonight that's in a dark place, you are in the right place because I've discovered something about God. He does some of his best work in the dark. I've had some dark places in my life. Uh, do y'all remember when, uh, and I'm shifting just slightly, but do you, do you remember when, when film, when camera had to be developed? Y'all remember that? Coach Chris, you're on the line. You, you remember when, when, when remember we used that, to have though. to take the negative out the back, Coach Chelsea, and used to have to take it to the photo lab? Oh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, I tell you, we were poor. Mom had 11 of us. So we had to learn how to make ends meet like mama taught us. But the thing about it was sometimes you would be in between payday and you had some film that you wanted to have developed. And what would you do with that film? You you wanted to know that before I spend my last, is it worth developing? Am I talking to anybody? And you would take that negative and you would hold that thing up to the light. Have I got one witness? You, you would take that thing like that and you would hold it up to the light and you would begin to do just like I'm doing right here. You, you just mess around and you're not developing the picture, but you have the negative in your hand. The negative held up to the light begins to give you an image and then you can decide based upon what you see, whether or not can I suggest to you that God does the same thing in our lives. There are some dark places because he is creating a weapon for its work. There are some sleepless nights because he's creating a weapon for its work. There are some folks that you've got to be disconnected from. Not that you're better than, not that they're less than, but God is developing your picture in the dark. And the enemy is continuing to throw these death blows at you. He's shooting what the word of God says, fiery darts. He's shooting fiery darts whereby you have a shield called faith. Now notice how the enemy tries to imitate what God does. God ignites the fire so that the fire would be the thing that causes us to serve faithfully. Jeremiah tried to quit. Jeremiah said God wouldn't let him quit. Jeremiah likened it to fire shut up in his bones. Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. 
saw his train fill the temple, did not feel qualified and said, woe is me. And yet God said, I'm going to take a coal off of the altar. I'm going to touch you with the fire of my anointing. And when God touches you with the fire of his anointing, your woe should turn to worship. Can I suggest to you that's what happened in my life? I was addicted. I was bound. I couldn't get out of my own way. But what I was unaware of, that God was creating a weapon for his work. That God was saying, Dennis, I'm going to subject you to the flames of the fire. I'm going to make sure that everything of your old nature has been done away with. I'm going to make sure that the old man is crucified. And this way, when you stand up, you're not going to stand in your own strength. You're not going to stand in your own merit. You're not going to stand in your own gifting. You're going to stand as somebody that qualifies as a weapon of mass destruction. And here's what I learned. What happens is when God sub subjects us to this, he says, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment. Now, I shared with you the last time I was on with you. If the enemy would have had his way, I would still be in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The enemy wanted me to be confined for 60 and 6 years, but God didn't need that long. God only needed long enough to bring me into the revelation of who he was. And when the glorious light of the gospel shined in my heart, at that moment, God began to work his work. God began to forge the flame of the fire because God and God alone knew what it was that he was trying to produce. God said, Dennis, I'm going to bring you out as a weapon of mass destruction. Now, in the book of Jude, keeping with the theme of the servant leader's arsenal, Jude admonishes us as believers to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto us. He says that you would earnestly contend for the faith. Now, can I ask y'all a question? Could we have a little interaction? How does one become a contender? One does not become a contender because he or she decides that they, they deserve a shot at the title. One becomes a contender by fighting lesser bouts in relative anonymity that nobody even knows you're fighting. And you mess around and you fight enough bouts in relative anonymity to whereby you become skilled at your field or profession and then the right people begin to notice. And when the right people begin to notice, you begin to slowly climb the ladder as a contender. So you don't name yourself a contender. You fight in relative anonymity until somebody else recognizes what you've got going on. So what I suggest to you is a lot of us miss the opportunity because the lesser bouts that we deem to be insignificant, the lesser bouts that we don't think matter much are actually the the springboards that God is using to bring us into what he's called us to. I'm talking to contenders tonight. I'm talking to folks that God wants to raise up as weapons of mass destruction. So what happens now is all of a sudden what other people did not see. This is how, whether it's in coaching, whether it's in teaching, whether it's in uh, your professional development, folks think you're an overnight wonder. They say, my goodness, man, how did she get a D1? How did she get a D2 job? How did you, wait a minute. I was fighting lesser bouts that you didn't know I was fighting. When God summons me to prayer when I didn't feel like praying, when God called me to lay down my plate when I would have rather feasted, when God asked me to go forgive that person that I would have rather given a piece of my mind, little did they know God was creating a weapon for his work. See, our problem is we don't understand the process in which God creates a thing. God creates in the dark. And so a lot of us die in the dark, not realizing that something wonderful is being created. 
I'm so glad I didn't die in my dark places, Chelsea. I'm so glad that on nights where I overshot the mark and my chest was palpitating almost out of my body, God was saying no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper because I've invested too much in you to lose you now. You are going to stand and proclaim my word. You are a weapon of mass destruction. I'm forging you in the fire. And you know what the thing about the fire is? It hurts when God is processing you. It hurts when you're fighting the lesser bouts in relative anonymity. It hurts when God says, I don't want you to grow weary in the well-doing. It hurts when people misunderstand you. It hurts when you misunderstand the very process that God himself called you into. So we're all in process. We're all in process. But God is saying, I'm raising you up. And just like the fighter in the ring, there have been moments where the enemy thought this would be the death blow. Do you know that there were times where you survived something that you yourself were startled by? There were nights I crawled myself up into a fetal position, and if I would have had my way, I would have died. But God said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God said, I'm forging a weapon for his work. I want to go to a strange scripture, and don't worry about turning there per se, but in the book of Habakkuk, if you will, the prophet Habakkuk asked a question, and I want to try to tie this into the servant leader's arsenal, if I may. Habakkuk asked a question that I think is as relevant today as it was the day that he asked it. He was asking the Lord, Lord, why do you permit injustice? Now, look at what's going on in our country right now and ask yourself over the last several years with all that's going on, if you've ever asked yourself, Lord, why do you permit injustice? How much longer, God? Lord, this ain't right. God, how many mothers got to stand weeping over the slain child that they nursed saying, my child called me? Mama, how many times do we got to see a man cry out for his mother before we begin to question, God, what role, if any, do I have in this? So the thing that God is reaching out to servant leaders tonight is this. This is what Habakkuk said, Chelsea. Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? Now, this is only for real saints now. This ain't for the superficial among us. This is for the folks that have actually had the audacity to say, Lord, where are you at? Lord, do you hear me? God, are you aware of what's going on? Do you see what they're doing? Do you see how my fire is dwindling? Do you see how my joy has been displaced? Lord, I'm so desperately in need of this revival because everything I look grieves me. And I want to give them a piece of my mind. I want to be dentists from the projects. I want to go slap them straight upside their face, but I no longer reserve the right to do that. I'm a servant of God. I can't act on my own volition anymore. I got to live, move, and have my being in you. But Lord, there's injustice everywhere. How long shall I cry and you not hear? That's what Habakkuk asked the Lord. He said, Lord, how long shall I behold this violence and you not save? Why do you show me iniquity? Why there's so much grievance and spoiling around me? Why so much strife and contention? For the note takers, Habakkuk chapter one, verse one through three. You know what the Lord told Habakkuk? He said, Habakkuk, the wicked have encamped about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. I want to give you all a little illustration of what the Lord answered Habakkuk when he said, why so much violence? Why so much grievance? Why so much injustice? He said, this is the righteous. This cup is the righteous. And the wicked have surrounded the righteous. Have you ever, I want to see if I'm on the right track because I feel the Holy Spirit here. Have you ever asked God for just a little breathing room? 
I'm not going to say, Lord, if you just give me a little space, I, I don't even need to be fully delivered. I don't need you to save me all the way. God, I just need a little breathing room. It's getting a little tight up in here. Have I got one witness? This is why. Because whenever the righteous are surrounded by the wicked, if other righteous folks don't come to their assistance and surround the thing that's surrounding you, you are not tough enough. You are not strong enough. You are not mighty enough in and by yourself to endure that. So we've got to get around one another. We've got to circle each other. Can I tell you how many wonderful conversations I've had with people that a year ago I did not know? I met them through this forum right here. Now we inbox one another, get on the phone, have prayer with one another, get on the phone and just pull down stuff in one another's life. Why? Because I am a servant leader that is building an arsenal. And sometimes the arsenal that God is building is in my affliction. It's in my being wounded. It's in my being chastised. It's in my being corrected. It's in me suffering a setback. It's in me being humble enough to recognize God. I just need a little breathing room. Lord, I just need you. I don't, God, I don't need you to fully bring me out. But if you could just back this up off me ever so temporarily, I promise you, I'll give you praise if you do. And I want to just suggest to you that that's what happened in my life. The enemy kept on surrounding me, kept on defeating me, kept on bringing me to a place where I was defeated in my own wrong choices. But little did I know God was creating a weapon. Little did I know that God was creating a weapon that would offer hope to all of those that were still in the bondage that a moment ago he bought me out of. He told me to tell these servant leaders, Chelsea, you are a weapon daughter. You are a weapon. This thing is of God. Chris, you are a weapon. Folks are being reached by your coaching that a pastor will never reach. You are a weapon. You are a voice of influence. Paul, you are a weapon. You're bridging gaps. And I want y'all to know this ain't for everybody. When you start getting into the deep waters of revival, when you start getting into the deep recesses of God's heart, where God is purging us with flames, where God is creating a weapon, I'm telling you, man, listen to me. The fire ain't for everybody. The fire ain't for everybody. I know some folks that were on their way to becoming contenders, but they no longer could fight because the flame of the fire got too hot. Y'all remember David? David had an arsenal. King Solomon had an arsenal. Hezekiah had an arsenal, but I'm gonna urge you not to make the mistake that Hezekiah made. Hezekiah had an arsenal, but he messed around and showed the Babylonians too much. The Babylonians came a calling and Hezekiah gave them access to everything. Can, can I just say this very plainly? Don't be a Hezekiah. Don't show the wrong people everything that God's up to in your life. Make sure you keep some things privily in your heart. Because if you mess around and show them everything, you might find yourself like Joseph being abandoned by the very people that your anointing is supposed to help. Joseph done messed around and told the dream that he thought was going to benefit everybody. And they turned on him. They threw him in a ditch. But can I tell you what Joseph's life suggests in your life and mine? Every incident is suggestive of the providence of God. That one thing had to happen so that the next thing could happen. I'll give it to you this way. If Joseph didn't tell him about the dream, they wouldn't have sold Joseph into a ditch. 
If Joseph didn't survive the ditch, he wouldn't have been sold into Ishmaelite slavery. If he wasn't sold off into slavery, he wouldn't have made it to Potiphar's house. If Potiphar's wife didn't perpetrate a lie saying that he raped her, he wouldn't have been thrown into the prison. He was thrown into the prison and somebody had a dream that nobody could interpret. Joseph interpreted the dream. Had Joseph not been in the prison, he wouldn't have been in position. See, what I'm trying to suggest to you is that thing that you thought was unfortunate, that aneurysm that tried to kill you, that last job that you left oh, and they coach. mishandled you, all of these things, my years lingering in a natural prison. God said, son, I am creating a weapon for its work. Everybody's not going to celebrate your deliverance, but make sure you don't give the wrong people access. Make sure you are not giving too many of what I'm doing privily in your life. Hezekiah, Isaiah came and rebuked them. Isaiah said, what did you show him? He said, I showed him everything. Isaiah said, you did what? You don't supposed to show your adversary all that's in your arsenal. There's something, listen, every coach worth their salt got that one in case we need it. I'm not going to this, it better be double over. I got one that I can draw up if necessary, but I'm not going to show it before time. Beloved, can I suggest to you that when God, listen, Y'all got to forgive me because I can only do it the way God taught me to do it. I am, I am so full tonight because I'm looking into the camera of folks that are being created as weapons of mass destruction. Not, not trying to tear down your builders, your builders and your weapons of mass destruction in that you've got a word in you that will simply eradicate every work of darkness. And that's why the enemy's trying to bring so much division. That's why the enemy don't want us to connect. That's why the enemy wants us to give privy and access to folks that don't mean us no good. Y'all with me? Go to Nehemiah chapter four, note takers. Nehemiah chapter four. They're coming back from the captivity of Babylon. They're post-exilic people and they're rebuilding the wall. And Nehemiah says, I got to position y'all on the wall because we're going to have to fight for this thing. The enemy ain't going to let us just walk up in to our tomorrow. What we've got to do is we've got to arm ourselves. We have to make sure that the weapons of our arsenal are in place. And if you look at Nehemiah chapter four, he strategically placed some on the wall. Everyone had a weapon, but some were placed behind the wall. Can I suggest to servant leaders, if you're building your arsenal, make sure you possess a little bit of humility. Because if you're the type of leader that must always be on the top of the wall. You must be in the limelight. You must have the top seat. You must have the top billing. You must be the lead in the choir. Listen to me. You are outside of biblical context. He put some on the wall, but he put some behind the wall. And he said to them, fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your houses and fight for your land. I got a question for servant leaders. I suspect that a big part of why we've come to revival is because even though we've been wounded, even though we've been hit, even though we might have stumbled just a little bit, I've been dazed a little bit this year. I had a little bit of joy knocked out of me. I've had some peace that I've misplaced. But can I suggest to you that I believe that you come out to revival tonight because there is at least a measure of you that got a little fight left in you. Can, can I have a little participant? I'm a participatory preacher. Y'all forgive me. Have I got anybody that got a little fight left in them? I, I know it's been a rough year. 
I know that there are injustices going on. I know black men are being killed in epic proportions, but I still got a little fight in me. I still believe that the power of prayer still works. I still believe that somebody can come and connect with me and we can fight this fight together. I, I just feel like fighting. I, I feel as though as long as I know God is creating a weapon for its work, I, I can remember lingering in bondage because of my own wrong choices. And then God started showing me the secret to servant leadership is making sure that you avail yourself to those that are worse off than you. Make sure you give the gift away. Make sure you reach out to the marginalized. Make sure you look for those that others have deemed to be outcast. And I stopped by to tell somebody tonight, you are a weapon. I was at my favorite place to preach prison and God gave me a word. And when God gives you a word, it's scary sometimes because nine times out of 10, when God gives you a word, it is so far beyond your ability to grasp it. God don't give you a word for where you're at. God gives you a word for where you're going. So God didn't give you a word when you were fighting for your life. He gave you a word that after the weapon that's formed against you don't prosper, I'm going to bring you into that which I purposed. I'm developing a picture in your dark place. And when I began to go out and give away freely what God had given me, the joy bell started ringing again. When I messed around and started going out to serve in the spirit of humility, the fire of God began to be rekindled in me again. And guess what happens with a fire? When fire is ignited, it has no other recourse but to spread. And that's what's happened on this podcast. This fire that started out innocently enough, it just started as what you thought was going to be a couple of days of meeting is now one year later. Lives are being impacted. Lives are being changed. Destinies are being altered all because somebody was willing to allow God to purge you in the flames of the fire. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just afraid that sometimes we don't understand what the fire does. The fire causes us to seek him even the more. The fire causes us to make sure that we don't move without his permission. The fire causes us to make sure we disconnect ourselves from the detractors and the naysayers and the skeptics. Have you survived the season where the skeptics couldn't kill you? Where, where, where are my church folks at? They, they were so skeptical. As a matter of fact, I, I tell folks all the time, they don't really hate you. I know we use that term a lot, say, oh, the haters. Can I suggest to you, they're not really haters. The fact of the matter is they just cannot fathom how you survive. So what they're doing is they're looking at a dead man walking. They're looking at a dead woman. They thought you died in that last season where God was creating you to be a weapon. And frankly, they just don't know how to handle you. They don't know whether to rejoice with you or talk about you. But the fact of the matter is, if you just keep on being refined by God, if you just keep on allowing the Lord to create the weapon, you'll mess around and you'll see God flip everything. You'll see God flip everything. Some of y'all met my lovely wife. They're out there singing. I hope it ain't too much of a disturbance. They're already into their own revival. <laughs> Not at and, all. And I remember Coach Chelsea telling my wife, every dark secret that I was convinced I was going to take to my grave. And I thought, you know, I, they, listen, Coach KB, I, listen, I, I knew this was the one. So I said, I'd rather her hear it from me. I don't want her to hear it on the street. And I had that conversation and every dark past and nook and cranny of my yesterday. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. That child looked at me and she said, is that it? I said, is this girl hard of hearing? 
I said, is that it? I said, child, are you paying attention? I said, I did some, I did some terrible. She said, baby, it wasn't nothing more than God creating you to be the man that you are. It wasn't nothing more than God qualifying you in the bouts of anonymity that nobody knew you were fighting. And when I remember my son now, he's all tall and bigger than his father and stuff. He's a big baller. I had the barber come to the house yesterday. I said, Lord, have mercy. He said, Daddy, I'm going to book an appointment on the app, the barber. And you know me, I grew up in the projects. I said, do you got the barber coming to your house money? You What you mean? Who's paying for this? Barber come to the house. But when that child was born, coach, he was born premature. He was sick and my wife was sick. My wife was lingering in one part of the hospital, fighting for her life, literally fighting for her life. And my son was over in the uh, neonatal intensive care fighting for his. And I got down on my face and I said, Lord, if I ever get a prayer through, it's got to be today. And I said, Lord, I've done some terrible things in my life and I need you to hear me because I'm fighting for my son. I'm fighting for my wife. I'm fighting for my house. And how can I be a man of God that can tell other people that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper if you don't bring my family into bed? Beloved, I'm telling you, I prayed a prayer in that neonatal intensive care like I've never prayed before or since. Now the boy's taller than me, running around, point guard, running around baseball. And I look at him every day and I say, God, I'm so glad that I fought that fight in relative anonymity. I'm so glad that I got the revelation that it was going to end better than I imagined. I'm so glad that Jacob teaches me that you could be revived from faintheartedness, discouragement. What's the Hebrew word? Y'all remember? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> now, 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 coaches, let me ask y'all a question. This is the Hebrew word. Haya. Genesis chapter 45. Jacob's spirit revived. Revived from discouragement, revived from faintheartedness, and revived from sickness. Y'all ever seen these guys in karate class break a board? Break a board. Some of them are real good. Break bricks. Y'all ever see them do it with a closed mouth? They steady over that board, right, KB? They concentrate. They ain't saying nothing. But when their hand goes up and they come down to strike that thing that they're trying to break through, it never fails. Their mouth opens and they say something like, higher. And that thing breaks. I'm going to tell y'all something I discovered and you can use it if you want to. I ain't never see God answer a prayer or deliver nobody with a closed mouth. I ain't never see God answer a prayer with a mouth that's closed. You're going to have to open your mouth. You're going to have, I feel like chipping y'all up right now. Hi, be, be revived from discouragement. Don't you mess around and call yourself a child of God. You got the same spirit living inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. And you under the cover calling yourself depressed. Hiya! Wait, don't. How are you going to be so faint that you miss that thing that God is causing you to come into possession? Paul said, do not get weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap, but your reaping is predicated on your fainting not. I want to chop up every one of you that have become faint-hearted in the process. Hiya, don't you dare quit. Don't you let the naysayers win. Don't you let the skeptics define who you are. You are a child of the most high God and God determines your destiny. God determines. And listen to me. Jacob was every whit amazed that his child was alive. But Joseph said, daddy, what they didn't understand is what they meant for evil. You meant for good. I'm not going to keep y'all all night on the first night of revival because what the old preacher said, if you keep them too long on the first night, they won't come back for the second and third. Night. 
And I'm praying for my sister too, because you I'll tell you something. You think that attack on her body is no, that's warfare. Come on, here. You're talking here. warfare. You're speaking I, I, on it now, coach. Hiya, hiya. Be here, hiya. KB, don't get me started. I'm trying to behave because I'm in mixed company. I don't know everybody. I'm trying to behave. I'm messing around. Don't mess with me. I'll tip that thing. That's warfare, beloved, because she's got a word for us. So the enemy comes in not realizing that God is creating a weapon for its work, and he thinks he can derail it by bringing sickness. But the word revived in Genesis 45 means higher to be revived from sickness. You're going to see. Watch when she come out. It's all going to be well. And the attack of the enemy is going to be no good. In the same way that the attack on us, God delivered us from it. Beloved, be encouraged tonight. Be strengthened tonight. Know that God has heard your cry. It is not just hitting the, uh, the, the ceiling and ricocheting around the room. God is with you. God ain't going to leave you. God ain't going to forsake you. And sometimes the flame got to be turned up. Now I'm going to behave myself because y'all know it's revival. You're supposed to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I'm going to behave. But what, I'm, what I will tell you is don't lose sight of the fact that it was turned up. It wasn't turned down. It was turned up because what I deliver you in, I'm going to destroy your adversary in. What I deliver you from, I'm going to show them the power of what can be done to a life that's submitted to them. So, beloved, my prayer for you tonight is that you would recognize that you're a weapon of mass destruction. You are not common. You are not ordinary. You are gifted. You are anointed. You are called and you are a difference maker. And on those days where the enemy is trying to get you to think that it won't make a difference. On those days where the enemy is trying to get you to think what you're doing really is not relevant and it doesn't matter, I stop by to tell you that you are a weapon of mass destruction. Your voice is needed. Your prayer is welcomed. Your unique anointing. And don't forget the illustration of the fighter. Anoint yourself in the morning so that you understand fully that the battle is yet raging. And I would be naive to think that the enemy is going to stop punching. It would be naive of me to think he's going to back off. It would be naive of me and unreasonable for me to think that the enemy is just going to let me walk into what God's purpose for me to have. Of course, there are some hardship. Of course, there are some setbacks. But that's where the anointing comes in. That thing that was supposed to be the knockout blow will graze off of you if you allow the anointing to do what the anointing does. And so, beloved... That's my wife, y'all. You know, y'all <laughs> forgive me because no, baby, somebody, uh, one of the mothers, we was looking the other day. See, that's when you know you got a saved wife. She's looking for anointing oil. Let's go. She must be in my message. Anoint me a fresh Lord. Let that oil drip down. I want to be in her room. I want to be. Listen, listen. We should stream that next week. I'm telling you, I'm go I'm, I'm getting ready to jump in there and be a fly on the wall. Because there's some serious stuff going on. They got the organ playing and everything. That's the Lord Jesus. But can I say this to y'all in love? The enemy never had a chance to kill you. Stop saying the enemy should have killed me while he had a chance. Because if he had a chance, he would have took it. But God's word over you is greater than the attack of the enemy. And that death blow is going to just graze off of you. And Chelsea, I want to just say this to you personally. Woman of God, God ain't going to do nothing but elevate you. When you are a servant of the most high God, 
that is anointed by the grace of God to connect this many people, sister, that is a gift. That is a gift that is a peculiar anointing. And all of that that you went through wasn't nothing more than God fashioning a weapon for its work. That's why the aneurysm couldn't kill you. That's why a blown knee couldn't derail your career. God is a God that has the ability to keep us from falling, but we've got to be willing to entrust him when the flames of the fire go, go higher. They go higher, but, but, but I want you to know something. I am so connected to this community. There ain't nothing you're going to do to get rid of me. People say, Who, where, where y'all get this screaming, hollering, preaching? Where, Chelsea, where did you find this child? I found him in a dark place. And God done messed around and bought him out. And he's like Paul. He's not ashamed of his testimony. What, what would you expect? Do you understand that if the enemy had his way, I'd still be in Fort Leavenworth. God said, I'm going to deliver you. And I'm telling you the truth. And I'm comfortable enough to tell you, I had a real problem because all of the brothers that were in prison blamed the white guy. I'm sitting up in there like, well, who am I going to blame? I'm like, Jesus, I, I wish somebody would let me blame somebody. I'm here because, but God's will led me to it, but God's power brought me through it. And I'm going to end right there. I don't know if we got five minutes to take a question or a prayer request. I know this, beloved. I love y'all. And God's creating something wonderful in you. And there ain't a dang thing that the devil can do about it. You are a weapon of mass destruction. You just got to find out your field that God wants you to work in. And when you find it, you're going to chip up every work of the enemy. People are going to be drawn to you in ways that you can only imagine. And you're going to be like, Lord, that's so weird because we don't really have nothing in common outside of, and it's the anointing. It's the drawn power of God. So I love y'all tonight. I'll pray with you if we've got time, but uh, I just want to at least open it up to hear from your sister, Chelsea. I love you, sis. I Liz. love the anointing that's in you. Bro. I, I love the authenticity. <laughs> I love y'all. Go, go ahead. I'm going to sip my coffee and behave. Nah, you're good. Because listen, you done made all the cameras pop on. We love you. Okay, You know you are my brother. That's my sister back there. Those my nephews and nieces. We are family, man. I receive everything that you said. And you know that humbles me more and more when I know I got praying and pushing me. And the work of God is going to be manifested because I got people praying that thing through for me and you. And one of the things I did do, brother, is we got Brandy here, right? I told her that you had already spoke. You don't even know what she, you know, you don't even know. Like we talked earlier. I said, Brandy, I need you to get in here because we need to pray and connect and just touch and agree over you. So I just want to say there were so many notes. Brother, I got three pages of notes over here. And I want you to know that my chat on Facebook was just bumping with you. So I've been multitasking. But your word today is one that we already knew was going to be flammable. We knew that. We, it went without saying. Like, Brother Paul said he had to rest, right? I'm going to let everybody talk in a second. Brother Paul said he had to rest up for you because we know the anointing that's on you and on your life. And that when God sends a word, you, you don't go into your own way. You allow God to move and you're his mouthpiece. So we knew that we were going to be delivered, healed, saved, and revived on tonight. Brother, I love you and I appreciate you so much, not just for this message, but for who you are every single day. Thank you, coach. Thank you so much, Chelsea. I, I do appreciate you. And Brandy, I'm going to just hit you one more time. Hi-ya! Ain't nothing but that ain't nothing but warfare. I seen the thing yesterday. Had the thing on the, I said, God, that ain't nothing but warfare. Coach Paul, Chris, 
y'all before he lay this prayer down i'm gonna let you guys say anything you want to say my people that's in my facebook if any you got any prayer requests or anything for coach let me know i'll ask yeah i go um <laughs> wow uh coach you brought it like to start this revival off couldn't do it. that that's the one that started off but uh just everything that's going on around here i'm about to put a tweet out like yeah y'all need to see this it'll get you back right just being that weapon of destruction with everything going around here thank you for that you know i i teach a lot of young black men and you know, with this, it could be any one of them that's happening today, but just the, your words to keep that spirit going and God using me, um, it really helps. But tonight was perfect. Thank you. Uh, just a godly man. I, I appreciate you, Coach. I love you, sister. I love you. Everybody else good? I just want to be sure okay all right well brother i want to tell you this this is a way to open revival up you hear me like i felt like i was sitting on the morning bench okay <laughs> oh right i felt like i was sitting on the morning bench and i was like two more words from walking out and i felt like it was 97 when i walked off that morning bench and it's funny you mentioned that i had on my shirt you didn't even know i'm an aneurysm survivor but you're absolutely right you spoke life into me and so many people today you already know what it is, and I appreciate you, my brother. Coach Robert said, tell Coach, thanks for preaching to me tonight. Powerful word, and he loves everybody. Love you, Love you brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, man. I really, really do. Thank you for opening us up. Thank you for this word that I know all of us going to carry. And if you could close us out with a prayer, man, I really yeah. appreciate it. And we got our sister on here, too. So I just want to make sure that we definitely lift her up and touch and agree and get her Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Father, we One love second, you. Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea, thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank you so very much. Coach Dennis, I caught the last piece of it. But just to hear your voice, there's something about the anointing that flows from the top to the bottom. And anytime that God can use someone like that, that's when the yoke destroys. That's when the chains break. So I, I'm encouraged just by hearing just the snippet to not even know the fullness of what you spoke on tonight, but it's going to be an encouragement to me. So I'll go back and listen to it, but I'm encouraged. So I appreciate what God gave you to give to us in the fullness of what you give and continue to give it in the fullness because it's the fullness is what people are waiting on. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that and just for your authenticity as well. And that's a fact. That's a biblical fact. The oil started at the head of Aaron. It ran down to his beard, came down to the robe of the A-fold and continued on down. And so I think that we've chipped up the ground tonight. You know, when we're in revival, we got to chip up the ground first. Then the seed can come, then the water and then the increase. So I love y'all so much. Let, let's pray and uh, we'll continue to pray for the woman of God. And uh, we'll just ask the Lord's blessing to heal that body, to cause the voice of God to roar through her, that God would give us great grace. So let's pray. Father, it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, because you're so gracious to us. You're magnanimous. You're kind. 
you're merciful. Now, God, I pray, Lord, with all that's going on in our land, some of which we mentioned on tonight, that we find ourselves all of these years later, similar to the prayer of Habakkuk. How long? How long shall I cry and thou not hear? How long shall I behold these grievances and injustices? But Lord, you told them that the key was that the wicked are surrounding the righteous. So therefore the righteous got to surround the wicked. Otherwise wrong judgment proceeded. I pray God that you would help me by the power of your anointing. Right now, God, to surround all of these, your precious children, whatever they find themselves in, we know of a certainty that they are in a spiritual war. And we know further, God, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through you, our God, to the pulling down of stronghold. I pulled down the stronghold of injustice. I pulled down the stronghold of racism. I pulled down the stronghold of despair. I pulled down the stronghold of murder. I pulled down the stronghold of faint-heartedness and discouragement, anxiety. I command you to loose your hold in the name of Jesus. And God, the next time we would try to disconnect ourselves from the process that's shaping us, I pray, God, that you would keep us right there in the flame of the fire until the weapon that you are creating has been fashioned for its work. And then God, when we go out, having been fashioned for our work, I pray Lord Jesus Christ, that we would not let other people determine who we are, that we would not be easily moved, that we would not be influenced, that we would not be people pleasers, but that we would be God chasers. And that God, every time you raise one of us up, to fight. We pray that you anoint us afresh because God, it would be ignorant of us. It would be unwise of us. It would be unlearned of us to think that the enemy's going back up without a fight being fought. Anoint me, God, so that the enemy's death blow, so he thought, would casually graze off of me. That I'll have a testimony on the other side. I lift up the leader, God. I lift up Sister Chelsea. I lift her up, God, because we know that leadership is constantly under attack. God, send the people in her life, oh God, that'll pour into her as she pours into us. Give her great wisdom, God. Order her steps. I pray, God, for Sister Ford. I pray, God, for her larynx. I pray for her voice. I pray that the flames of God's fire would touch her. I pray that by the time she speak on tomorrow, that she would be a modern-day Jeremiah, that the fire would be shut up in her bones. I pray, God, for KB and Paul. I pray for all of my coaching colleagues and ministers in the gospel, my colleagues in this thing called the faith journey. And I pray, God, most of all, that you would ignite our hand to be fixed to the gospel plow, that none of us would see any good reason to look back. God, help us to walk in victory. And God, next time in closing, we find ourselves in the dark place. Help us to remember that the best pictures are developed in the dark. And God, if we ever want to get a glimpse of what you're up to, we just got to take our negative and hold it up to the light so that you can begin to show us what is at stake and that we would earnestly contend for the faith. That God, even when we're weary, we'd have a little fight left in us. That we would fight as Nehemiah urged us for our family, for our sons, for our daughter, for our houses, for our land. Lord, I fight for the children. I fight for black mothers tonight, God, that are in despair. Why, my child, God? Why, why? How long shall I cry and you not hear? Lord, I fight for them tonight. I fight, hiya, I fight against weariness. I fight against discouragement. I fight against despondency. I fight against racism and systemic racism. I fight against it. Let the blood of Jesus unite us. Bring us together, oh God, I pray, and give us great victory. And on the other side of what you do, we'll be careful to remember the first night of this revival where we cried out in despair and you heard us. Move favorably upon our petition, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, thank God and 
Amen. Chelsea, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, every one of you guys. And we're not going to forget, even though it is a virtual revival. So anybody listening, if you do not know Christ as your personal savior and you are seeking that guidance, please know that we have an arsenal full of coaches and leaders and prayer warriors that will get you right. All you need to do is email me or message me and we'll get you where you need to go. If you feel you strayed and you need somewhere to come back through, this is a great legion of individuals that get you where you need to be. So please know if there is anything that you ever need. This is not something that's just for fashion. We are truly after God's own heart and we are people here to get you there. So we appreciate you all for listening, fellowshipping and worshiping and join us. And I'm claiming this right now. Join us with my sister, Randy tomorrow night for night two of the servant leaders revival the servant leaders arsenal thank you guys for listening